It is Tuesday, June 7th, and this is People Every Day. Hello there, everyone. It's me, Janine Rubenstein. I hope your Tuesday is treating you very well. We've got another busy show for you today, chock full of drama between exes, both new and old. So let's dive right into what's swirling around out there. Before we get into all the relationship drama that's bubbling up, we have to talk about the adorable photos shared by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle of their one-year-old daughter, Lilibet. On Saturday, amidst the Queen's Jubilee celebrations, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex invited close friends and family to gather for a casual, intimate backyard picnic, that's what they called it, at their Frogmore Cottage estate to celebrate Lilibet's first birthday. You guys have to see this photo of little Lily on our website. It is too cute. She's wearing this just beautiful blue dress and has this gorgeous little smile and she's rocking some red hair just like dad. It's one of the first and very few photos that have been released to the public. A spokesperson for Meghan and Harry said the two remain incredibly touched by the countless birthday wishes for their daughter, Lilibet Diana Mountbatten-Windsor. It sounds like she had a great first birthday and we are all very excited to watch her grow up. And now it's time to get into that breakup drama I mentioned earlier. Yesterday on the show, we talked at length about the unexpected breakup of Black Panther and Creed star Michael B. Jordan and model and entrepreneur Lori Harvey. It was widely reported that the two, who have roughly a decade between them in age difference, just weren't at the same place in life. Jordan was ready to settle down, while Harvey, as an insider shared with us, still wants to have fun and be free. End quote. Sources also told people that the two are both completely heartbroken, but it seems like Lori is moving on, at least on social media. Harvey appears to have deleted all photos of her now ex-boyfriend from her Instagram feed. Ouch. The two have both unfollowed each other, but Jordan still has photos of her on his Instagram, including shots of them stepping out for Vanity Fair's Oscars after party, where they made their red carpet debut back in March. Ugh. Now, as amicable as this breakup initially seemed on the surface, I'm not surprised that things are starting to get spicy. Even her stepdad, Steve Harvey, said he's Team Lori. Hmm. I am still waiting for both of them to speak out publicly and share all of the maybe dirty details. And now we're going to get into a split that's constantly moving from bad to even worse. Brad Pitt is accusing ex-wife Angelina Jolie of purposely sabotaging the reputation of their shared wine business. Yeah, you know, very normal, everyday people problems. (laughs) We absolutely have to talk about this latest chapter in their messy feud. There's a whole lot to get into with this next story. Brad Pitt is accusing his ex-wife, Angelina Jolie, of damaging the reputation of the wine business they previously co-owned together by selling her half to a stranger. Back in 2008, the exes bought a controlling stake in the south of France vineyard and home Chateau Miraval. The former couple later wed there in 2014 and spent family holidays there. Now things have turned even more sour between the actors as Brad claims Angelina intentionally sought to inflict harm on him by selling her interests in the wine company. Joining me now to break this all down is People Managing Editor Charlotte Triggs. Hey, Charlotte. 
Hey, Janine, I think you missed the opportunity for a sour grapes joke in there somewhere. (laughs) Well, thank you for picking up that baton because yes, (laughs) many sour grapes here. Angelina's sale of Chateau Miraval has been an ongoing battle between her and Brad. And in February of this year, Brad sued Angie for selling her stake in this vineyard that they bought together. So remind us what happened there. These alcohol lines that the celebrities have, it's big business. So there's a lot at stake. And, you know, it seemed all kind of fun and games, right? They had this beautiful rosé. It's actually very popular. You can get it in like every liquor store in America. I have it in my wine fridge right now. (laughs) Right? Yes, me too. (laughs) So basically, she sold her shares. And he alleges that he had in their contract between them the right of first refusal to buy her out should she ever want to sell. So that... Her sale to this company that is like also like they're the owners of Stoli. So they're actually owned by like a Russian oligarch. That sale should never have happened because he should have been basically posed the opportunity to just buy her out as opposed to having her sell it off. So now he's basically alleging that this has put him in a terrible position because this company is trying to stage a hostile takeover of his rosé business. And not to mention the terrible, terrible optics of having sold it to a company owned by a Russian oligarch right before the invasion of Ukraine. Not a good look Mm. for any business. He's pretty pissed and he's going after her to see what he can do to rectify the situation. As we mentioned earlier, Brad is claiming that Angelina intentionally sought to, quote, inflict harm on him by selling her interests in the wine company. So break this down for us further. Why do you think he is going that far? I think that this is where the emotion comes into it. God only knows what has happened between these people, because we have to remember, this is against the backdrop of a years-long custody battle that resulted in him being awarded joint custody last spring, and then her winning an appeal to throw out that judge just a couple months later. So there has been much uglier situations that they've been through. There's no specifics mentioned in these court documents that would like lead us to understand exactly what he means by intentionally seeking to inflict harm. Other than that, they have a history and he believes that she's not just selling off her shares because she wants the money from it, that she's doing it to hurt him. We haven't heard from her on this yet, but These are two people who, ever since they split, have a fiery back and forth with passionately opposing stances and not just on the like deeper, much more meaningful issues of custody, but apparently on the rosé business. Wow. And just some of these claims here, uh, they are very clear in their thoughts. Jolie pursued and then consummated the purported sale in secret, purposely keeping Pitt in the dark and knowingly violating Pitt's contractual right. Like, they are pissed, to say the least. What I don't understand, Janine, is like, if they have a contract and it either says that he has the right of first refusal or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So whoever's got the terms of the contract down the clearest seems like this is an open and shut case. Despite all of this, Angelina was actually cleared to sell her share of the estate last September, right? She moved to sell her shares. He kind of filed an injunction and he he was drawing on all this like really obscure stuff because it was a it based in the south of France. They'd had like a Belgian or a Luxembourg like bank or something and it was like the symbolic 1 euro payment. It was all very 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 bizarre, but she was cleared to go ahead and move ahead with this sale, I guess, at which point he could then file a claim to 
object and ask for something in return. And here we are. That's the stage that we're at now. Oh my goodness. It's like the War of the Roses, but like much more money involved. Janine, the War of the Rosé. You keep missing these oh, really obvious. And again, <laughs> and again, the War of the Rosé. Thank you, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Janine. All right, guys, rappers Young Thug and Gunna were arrested last month for alleged gang-affiliated activity. The two are now part of a case with over 20 other individuals. And what's interesting is that prosecutors are planning to use lyrics in their songs as evidence against them in their upcoming trial. We get into the nuances of this ongoing story and phenomenon, really, later in the show. But first, June is Pride Month in the U.S., and the NFL's Carolina Panthers have an awesome story I can't wait to share with you. They are the first team in the league to sign a trans female cheerleader. We share her story and how she's breaking barriers on the sidelines and looking fierce while doing so, right after the break. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We are back, and even though it's only June, fans, players, and coaches have begun to shift their gaze to the upcoming NFL season. And while this upcoming season is bound to have memorable moments, the Carolina Panthers are already making a splash. The Panthers have signed 29-year-old Justine Lindsay to be one of their in-game cheerleaders known as the Top Cats for the upcoming season. Lindsay will be making history as the first transgender female cheerleader in the NFL. Justine Lindsay shared a post on Instagram after her signing became official, saying, I would like to thank the beautiful and talented dancers who supported me along the way, alumni, Top Cats family, and friends for your love and support. I would not have gotten to this moment in my life if it wasn't for the support. Top Cats squad director Shondalei Lanaway told media outlets that Lindsay disclosed she is transgender on her application, but all that mattered when forming the team was her incredible talent. And she added that, quote, my goal is to create a team of individuals that are absolute fire on the field, but are incredible human beings in the locker room, good friends, good people. And at the end of the day, you have to walk through the door first to get to that spot. I am incredibly excited for Justine Lindsay and what she's going to bring to the Top Cats. And I will definitely be pulling for the Panthers cheerleaders this year, <laughs> except for on October 9th when their team plays my Niners, of course. If you're like me and love hearing stories like this, especially during Pride Month, you'll definitely want to tune in for tomorrow's episode. We're having a podcast takeover with friend of the show and guest host, Jason Sheeler. Jason had a huge role in putting together this week's Pride issue of the magazine, and he'll be sitting in for me tomorrow to share some of his favorite stories from the magazine. Plus, he'll be sitting down for an exclusive interview with recent Oscar winner and LGBTQIA plus advocate, Ariana DeBose. Trust me, you definitely do not want to miss out. 
The music world recently saw the arrest of two major rappers based out of Atlanta, Georgia, 30-year-old Young Thug and 28-year-old Gunna, who both collaborated together for their hit single, Dollars on My Head, in 2020. They, along with 27 other people, were apprehended on a 56-count indictment on charges of violating RICO, also known as Georgia's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. These charges include conspiracy and criminal street gang activity. But at the core of the conversation around all of this is the question, should authorities be taking rappers' lyrics as fact, or better yet, evidence, and using them in court? For that reason, this case has gained national attention as many people question if the charges brought against them are legitimate. New details are emerging in this story. So, to help me sort through the facts and the fiction, maybe, is music journalist and commentator Jacques Morel. Hey, Jacques, welcome to the show. Hey, Janine, thanks for having me. As of this past Thursday, Young Thug, whose real name is Jeffrey Williams, remains in jail because he was denied bail, and prosecutors allege that he is the mastermind behind street gang Young Slime Life. We also know that RICO authorities have been tailing him as far back as 2015, but many argue that these claims are bogus. So what are your thoughts here? I feel like the Fulton County DA is trying to loop in the activities of what could just be an innocuous group of Black men into this wider criminal organization. There has been this beef ongoing in the ground between Young Thug's crew, YSL, versus this other rapper, YFN Lucci, which has caused a, dump, a lot of violence. But it's honestly using the RICO charge is something that's, that happens more predominantly towards Black men. There was a study in 2012 that noted that 86% of RICO charges involved people of color. So here, what they're doing is they're trying to say that all of these activities are in furtherance of the criminal conspiracy as in being in this gang. And as wide-ranging as it could be, they used in the indictment a number of instances from social media, from music lyrics, just to say that if even if you shouted at YSL in this indictment, you could be included in this. And tongue-in-cheekly, there were actually reporters that asked, would Jack Harlow be included in this as well? Because Jack Harlow had a YSL chain, and they said that Jack Harlow was not in it. And Young Thug was denied bail because they said that he could be a flight risk and also a threat to some of the witnesses in the case. And what kind of appeared with this most recent hearing was that most of the evidence was in the form of social media and music lyrics. So it's very murky to see where it's going to go. Young Thug's going to be sitting in prison until about January when the case is supposed to start. And it's going to have a ton of attention because this could mean that this music lyrics could be used more widely against more rappers in the future as it already has happened in the past. Wow. And you mentioned Jack Harlow there, one of the top stars of the day and time right now, but he is a white rapper and he had a YSL chain and they're saying, no, not him. Like I said, tongue in cheekly, as in like, you know, obviously like Jack Harlow isn't like part of like that crew, but yeah. it was more to kind of poke a hole in the idea that all you had to do was just for the, some of the people that charge is like just claim YSL and then you were kind of looped up into this indictment. Mm, like we mm -hmm. know Rico was initially conceived in the 70s and 80s as a way to take down organized crime, the mafia, biker street gangs, the Hells Angels at the time. But it's been used a lot often against like black men and just honestly, black music. In 2007, DJ Drama was at the top of the mixtape game and it was used against him for selling illegal music through the form of mixtapes. In this case, it appears that they may have more evidence than what they're showing in the indictment. There could be, some people were speculating that could be an informant or like a snitch in some places. The prosecution hasn't showed all their cards yet, but 
on its face, it just feels like through social media posts and rap lyrics, through very innocuous songs that feel like they have nothing to do with some of the charges. During his bond hearing proceedings, prosecutors have used some of the lyrics from Young Thug songs, such as Anybody, Take It to Trial, Ski, featuring Gunna, as evidence as the indictment brought against them. But this practice has long garnered major backlash, as you said. And, and earlier this year, several rappers banded together, including Jay-Z, Meek Mill, and Fat Joe, to rally against the use of this in court. So what is this strategy being used by prosecutors in court? And, and, and take me through why it is so frowned upon within the music community. In respect to Young Thug, using the song Anybody, 2018 track with Nicki Minaj, they're using that specific lyric to link it to a murder that happened in 2015, that Young Thug had allegedly rented a car that was used in that murder. And like, I'm going to kind of mess up the lyric, but he's basically saying, I never killed anybody, but I had something to do with that body. And what the prosecution is saying that this is a direct correlation to what had happened, because while Young Thug did not kill this person, Donovan Thomas Jr. in 2015, He's rapping about he had nothing to do with it, but he had something to do with it in terms of renting the car. If you know how Young Thug makes music, they're making like 20 plus songs a day. They're freestyling most of the time. So to say that he's like being literal here and that all of his lyrics should be taken as rote fact, it's just racist on its face. There are other instances like the Meek Mill and Jay-Z build that actually just passed the New York State Senate. So it's up to possibly become a law. But basically the prosecutors use it as a way to kind of paint the picture that the defendant is this violent individual and that what they're rapping about is like actually what they're doing and it removes the actual creative enterprise of hip hop. It's like, it can't be this creative endeavor. It can't be something that you're just coming up with through inspiration and it prejudices the jury. Like if you are a juror and you have no idea this person even raps, but you're hearing his lyrics and the prosecutors are telling you, oh, this is them admitting to their crime and you don't know the nuances of rap, then you're going to take it as fact. And it only happens to rappers. As you speak, I'm, I'm thinking of this skit that Kevin Hart did a few years back at SNL. I mean, Key and Peele did a skit too. It's like been this known thing that like we're all just kind of poking fun at happening, but it's a real thing. And it's just not something that's necessarily aimed at white acts. There's the famous Johnny Cash, I shot a man down in Reno. There was a study in 2018 or so that found that country music mentions drugs more than hip hop does. And you're not seeing these lyrics brought up in cases against anything that might happen to them. And even in, in terms of like just other creative endeavors, if there's an actor that's put on trial, they're not placing clips from their movies to say, oh, this is, this is how they're a bad person. When you look at it like that, it's hard to not see it as something racial. So what do you think can be done? I'll admit this is one of the things where I'm a little out of my depth. I'm not like a lawyer in terms of like in the day-to-day -day policy of it. But I do feel like the case that's coming out, that's kind of moving its way through the New York State Legislature is a good start. And also just got to keep the pressure on these prosecutors and these police officers to do police work. Like I joked with a friend the other day, like I wonder if like the prosecutors became fans of Young Thug while listening to their music. And also not to victim blame here, but for artists to be a little more selective about what they're possibly saying, because, you know, 
we live in a world where everything can and will be used against you in the, the court of law, but especially if you are a rapper. And often if you're a rapper, you're coming from a neighborhood or you're coming from a situation where you're just kind of detailing the, the negativity that is surrounded you through forces that have nothing to do with you and you're just putting it into your music. Wow. Well, we will see how this all pans out. It is wildly interesting. And thank you. Thank you for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. For our last story, I just have one question for you and no cheating here. No Googling. Who is Ryan Tedder? <laughs> I'll give you a second. Okay, stop. For those of you who said, um, I think he's in a band or something, you are correct. He's the lead singer of One Republic and he's behind some of their biggest songs like 2010's Secret. But did you also know he's one of the biggest songwriters of our generation, responsible for writing and co-writing some of the biggest hits? We're talking songs like Beyonce's Halo. The Jonas Brothers' Sucker. I'm a sucker for you. Ooh, yeah. Lil Nas X's smash hit, That's What I Want. And even Ed Sheeran's Happier. Baby, you look happier, you do. Well, music TikToker Daniel Wall pointed out Tedder's prolific work and that despite all of that success, he only had 3,000-ish followers on TikTok because, as Wall states... And let's just say Ryan makes very interesting TikToks. He kind of makes TikToks like a dad. And it seems like it's paying off. Tedder took notice of his new followers shortly thereafter. I have not been really using TikTok like I should. And somehow overnight I have 68,000 followers that came out of nowhere. Trying to figure that out. And now he has over 300,000 followers and counting. For someone who's been so instrumental in the music industry, I'm very happy to see them get some visibility out there. And speaking of visibility, a reminder that tomorrow we have a very special Pride edition of People Every Day with our friend Jason Sheeler. I will miss chatting with you guys tomorrow, but I am very excited for the episode. Enjoy the rest of your day.